Sorry, sometimes I get to worshiping and I get, I forgot I was supposed to come up here and say something. So I'm going to come up here and, and say something. I hope, uh, I hope it's a good morning for you. It's a good morning for me. Um, God is building, he's in the process of building a gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic movement of God. And that's what we're a part of. We hope that you will be a part of us at some point if you're new with us and we're Starting a brand new series today, so nobody's behind. We're starting a brand new, adorable little precious two-week series. This is one of the shortest little, tiniest, cutest little series we've ever done. And it's called Canary in the Coal Mine. So I just want to know, uh, it's a phrase, it's, it's around, just, I didn't really know the story behind the phrase. Anybody know what that means, Canary in the Coal Mine? Man, you guys are much more well-read than first service. All right, so there's just a few people in, in the nine o'clock service who knew what that came from. It's kind of a, it's kind of a morbid kind of deal, because so, they don't do it anymore, but in coal mines, coal mining is a very dangerous occupation, because a lot can go wrong, and specifically, um, there's toxic, invisible gases um, that leak in the coal mines, and they eventually cause an explosion, and everybody in them dies when that explodes. So... 150 years ago, I'd love to know the story of how they thought this would be a good idea to begin with. But somebody thought, you know, canaries with their tiny little lungs, they'll probably die from the poisonous gases before the humans do. So they started to take canaries into the coal mine. The canaries doing whatever canaries do, singing, whatever they sing. I don't know, Springsteen, Belle Biv DeVoe. I don't know what canaries sing. Canaries singing, and then all of a sudden the canary stops singing and drops dead. And all the coal miners know, we got to get out of here because they have a certain amount of time because it'll kill the canary a lot quicker than it'll kill the coal miners. So from that point on, it became just a, um, a slang, a, a, a reference to say, hey, it's a warning of something bad is going to happen. It's the canary dies first. We got to get out. So um, it's really a warning to avoid an explosion. And this is, this is one of the, I love my job. But one of the hardest parts about my job as a pastor is seeing people's lives explode. And it's ugly. And so many times there are warning signs leading up to the explosion, all right? And, and, and people come and say, like, hey, we need help. We need counseling. The truth is you needed counseling 10 years ago, right? But it just took a while for it to build and build and build and then um, explode. So um, it's... It's heartbreaking because not everything, some things are completely out of control. This life is crazy. A lot of the thing, a lot, let me talk about relentless church, not the whole world. A lot of relentless church trauma, emotional, spiritual trauma, a lot of it is preventable. It's not what other people did to you. It's just stuff that's under the surface. Some of you have something that happened to you maybe in your childhood, and you've been running from that so hard, and, and, and you just, everything that's wrong is it's a deeper issue, and until you're willing to deal with some of the deeper issues, it's just, a, it's just a gas that's building and building, and one day, it's gonna explode. You've seen that happen, it happens in movies, and back in the day, it happened in soap operas. <laughs> Remember those? Soap operas? Uh, I was just meeting somebody first service that was traveling for Thanksgiving, they're here from Santa Barbara, and I was like, you know, my first thought is the soap opera, Santa Barbara. Um, but anyway, what was I talking about? Um, I'm talking about explosions, and when they, when they start to, you know, build and build and build these things in our life, if we're not willing to deal with the deeper things, 
um, then we're just delaying the inevitable. And it could get, it gets ugly, right? So that's what I'm talking about, movies and TV shows. You see the family, the Thanksgiving, a lot of scenes where stuff's been building for years and years, and all of a sudden, boom, and it explodes, right? And that didn't happen on Thanksgiving. That happened years before. So I'm not, um, I'm not trying to uh, scare anybody with this series, but we're going to talk about spiritually, what are some warning signs? What is the canary in the coal mine that's going to let you know, hey, I need to pay attention to this. I need to do something different. Because um, God made us with these internal warning systems, right? Sometimes we verbalize it this way. Have you ever heard somebody just say, I'm just real unsettled in my spirit and I can't explain it, right? That's, that's a, can be a canary in a coal mine kind of thing. Sometimes what are you going to do with that? Um, I remember reading a lot, multiple New York City pastors said the week leading up to 9-11, they just had an unsettled in their spirit, and they didn't know why until after um, 9-11 happened. Well, what is this unsettled um, spirit? It can come from events. It can come from a thousand things. But I do think God has given us a gift um, of, a, of, a, of a warning sign that is similar to the canary in the coal mine. It's the warning of a bigger explosion coming. And we're going to sum it up these two weeks in one ugly, nasty word. And that word is apathy. Mm, boo, apathy, right? As a, as a dad, as a coach, as a pastor, there's nothing harder than apathy. Simple definition of apathy. It's a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. We just summarize it as, I don't care, right? It's nothing harder to watch than an athlete that just doesn't care, right? Or, or a student that just doesn't care. And we're going to talk about spiritual apathy. And uh, I want to remind you that apathy is a sickness. Can you catch it? I don't think so, but it is contagious. It is contagious. If you run with a bunch of people that don't care, you're going to tend to not care yourself. And this is important. Spiritual apathy is a pattern, not a moment. Right? We're not trying to, don't feel bad. We all are going to have moments of apathy, right? That's part of the human experience. Nobody never doesn't care. It's too many negatives in that sentence. You know what I'm saying? Nobody doesn't ever not care still, right? We all have moments of apathy, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about it's a pattern. It's kind of your default. Get to a place. You ever been there spiritually where, man, I don't not believe in God, but honestly, I just don't care that much right now. I don't care much about the things of God. I don't care much about, you know, God's church. I don't care much about my relationship with God. Um, that's, a, that's a canary in a coal mine because not just spiritually, in all aspects of relationally, some of you are in relationships. When you start to understand and be honest enough with yourself and your partner to say, yeah, I don't really care right now. That's a huge canary. Like that's something you've got to deal with with that because an explosion is coming. It doesn't follow the next day. It's often years ahead. So spiritually, which is where we want to focus, I want to teach us to identify, recognize, and know what to do and how to attack this spiritual apathy. I think there may be some people that live their whole lives and never deal with this, but most of us at some point along the way, you're going to be like, you know what? Life's too much. Me and God, I love them, but I just don't have, I just don't care right now. It's too much going on. And I want you to know what to do it. The opposite of apathy is zeal. It's a scripture, a biblical word, zeal, right? It's just this enthusiasm. Now, be careful with this word because um, Psalm 67 says, zeal for your house has consumed me. Your personality has room in this message. So we're different. 
right? I love our church. We can watch us worship. We're worshiping the same God, right? And one of us might be dancing and moving and raising our hands, and somebody else might be, right? And I used to think this guy, well, he just, he just not into worship, right? And that's not fair. I don't know people's heart. I had to learn the reason the lights are on when I preach, because I need to see your faces, right? And I've grown so much in this. At the movie theater where we started, I would look at faces and I was just thinking, man, this is not landing. This is like that dude, he's, he's so mad at the world. What did I do to offend him? Is my fly open? Like, what is going on? And then that dude would come up to me after church and be like, man, God really spoke to me this morning through that message. And I wanted to say, did anybody tell your face? Because your, your face didn't know, right? But that's okay. It's just where, uh, so I've learned not to read, judge the crowd, but so your zeal for God, don't, don't put it in a box that it looks like jumping around and bounce. Like your zeal might look different than my zeal. But the, the issue is, are you excited about anything in your soul? And when you're not, it's a warning sign. Let's look at a letter that's really valuable for us. Uh, it's in the book of Revelation. You know, we, we need to remember that God sees the whole church, right? If he, he sees his church across the planet, all right? Different time zones, his church, millions of people, billions of people worshiping him somewhere today. But he also sees individual churches, right? He knows Relentless Church as a church. We're not the only church. We're not his favorite church. Top 10, I don't know, right? But we're, we're, we're a church. So we know in Revelation because he wrote specific letters to individual churches. And he would tell them, hey, you're doing great at this. You need to work on this. And it's so valuable to a church to be able to look and read Revelations 2 and 3, seven different letters, seven different churches. Maybe we'll do a series on that someday of just what he said. Well, I want to look at one of those letters. And this is one of the few letters. He doesn't say anything good about this church. It's the church in a city called Laodicea. And um, I want to read it to you. He said, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the G, this is Jesus, the origin of the creation of God says this. Here's what he says to the church. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Harsh. All right, so it's, it's Thanksgiving. Can you, it doesn't have to be a Thanksgiving food. Can anybody think of a food that is the best thing ever hot, but you don't want anything to do with it lukewarm? Mashed potatoes, what we got? Give me a few more. Macaroni and cheese, that's, that's the first service. We're, we need more. Chinese food, we're a multi-ethnic church. All right, so first service said French fries, coffee, and macaroni, All right? And I talked about macaroni and French fries, but I'm too young to drink coffee, so I don't know anything about that. Um, but there's some foods that are amazing when they're hot, but then they, they get lukewarm. That's why you need to be on time Thursday to wherever you're going, right? Because that food, when it's hot, it's when it's, that's when it's right. Why would God be so over the top, right? Here, here, I think of relationships. So young people, we're not only a multi-ethnic church, we're a multi-generational church. I love it that we're getting younger as a church. So if you're in a relationship, you get this, cold, hot, Luke, Luke, why is lukewarm worse than cold? If it's, if, if it's about your energy for God, wouldn't he rather you, isn't lukewarm closer to hot? Isn't that better, right? No, it's like pizza. Some of you, some of you eat pizza cold. I don't understand you. But cold pizza, hot pizza, yes. Lukewarm pizza, nobody, right? So why? So if I was in a relationship with, with, a, with a young lady, I am married, but if I was younger and I'm in a relationship with a young lady and this young lady says, I'm into you, but only on the weekends. I got a, I got a weekday guy. You can be my weekend dude, all right? 
I would rather her say, I want nothing to do with you. I'd rather it be cold. That's where God's coming from. This lukewarmness, he's not, he wants, what does he want more than anything? He wants a relationship. So he's saying, this one foot in, he's like, listen to what I've done for you. This is a love relationship. I love you so much, you couldn't come to me. That's why I came to you. I sent Jesus to come to this world, live a sinless life. He died a horrible death. He bought you. He purchased you with his own blood, with his own sacrifice. He purchased you out of love. That's what he's done for you. And he's like, you're gonna, you're gonna live this life kind of like, eh, you know, Jesus, meh, is, eh, you know, take or leave it. He's like, no, I can't, I can't deal with that. I'd rather you just say I'm an atheist. There is no God. I'd either rather you be all in or all out because there's just no room in the gospel for this, eh, you know, God's, uh, yeah, he's there, I think, right? You just, you got, either he's a liar, either Jesus is the biggest fraud ever and we should spend our whole lives trying to tear down this charade of Christianity or he is the king of kings and he's the son of God and he proved it on the cross and he's coming back to get us and there's nothing worthy of our lives except for him. It's one or the other. It's not this, this kind of maybe, you know, some of us are old enough. I don't think you guys do this anymore. Uh, you tell me if I'm right, Owen. Um, back in the day, we'd say, will you be my girl? Yes, no, maybe. Do y'all still do that? You guys text him, right? Why are we putting maybe on the list? Like, that's the worst thing. I need a yes. God's saying, give me a yes or a no. Maybe is no, there's no room for that. So he doesn't stop with vomiting out of his mouth. He continues, because you say, here's why this is so big to him. He says, because you say, church, this specific church, he says, he's quoting them. You say, I'm rich, I've become wealthy, and I have no need of anything. And you don't know that even though you have material wealth, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to apply to your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be zealous. That's the answer to your lukewarmness. Be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. The one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's saying, I've overcome and you're going to sit with me. I did this. We're going to win. We're going to be victorious. Life is going to be better than you can ever imagine it. That day is coming. Be with me. Repent and be zealous. Act like you know what's coming. Don't get caught in this lukewarm, this apathy. And man, we struggled with that as a culture through this thing called COVID. I don't know if you remember COVID a few years back, right? We struggled with it churches, because all of a sudden church became something you turned on, right? And you attended virtually, right? Um, and that was, that was really hard uh, for us as a staff. It was really hard for us as a church, really hard for every church, right? And then we started coming back to in-person. And you know what? Some people, some people had a realization. A lot of people in our country, according to the stats, had the realization of, why do I go to church, I kind of liked, and there's a bunch of people that have told me, oh, I, like, I like this virtual stuff, coffee on, pajamas, sitting there with my dog watching church. Church was never meant to be watched, right? Church was, was supposed to be a body of Christ, which is impossible to do virtually. So really, when you drill down, because there was no depth of relationship, like some of you, and we're not mad at you, we're so glad you're here. You may not know anybody in this room. Right? If, you, if your church experience week in, week out is 
I'm going, I don't know anybody, I sit, sing, and we, and we listen to this dude speak, and we go home. If that's your version of church, at some point, it's going to be like, do I really care? Right? If you don't have any, if you don't have any connection, then it's, it's hard for, to care for a bunch of strangers, right? So we're working on that, and we're building that. Um, but COVID kind of unveiled some things that, you know, one, it was really scary. Uh, there was somebody in, in our small group this week that shared with us that there was, she knew 20 people that died in, in COVID, somebody in our church, right? So it's, it's, a, it's, um, it's a lot more to it than that. But I think some people just came through that and were like, I didn't really miss it, church. I don't, I don't really care, right? Um, and that's, that can be bad. That can also be good. We got to get to the cause, right? COVID punched us in our spiritual gut. It's just a lot of, it was hard on a lot of levels for a lot of people. But if you're having apathy, if you can be honest enough with yourself this morning just to say, yeah, I'm at a place as far as me and God, I don't really know how much I care today. You're in the right place. We're so glad you're here. But there can be a lot of causes, more than I can run through. But sometimes it's chemical, physiological, meaning sometimes there can be stuff off in you chemically. And if you're struggling in that way, when you get to that place, you can very easily just not care about anything because you're just worn down with it. It can be seasonal. Isn't that crazy how our bodies adjust to the seasons? And if you, uh, we have some mental health professionals in our church, and, and they, they will tell you that from Thanksgiving to the end of the year is one of the hardest times for people in mental health, right? So sometimes the stuff completely outside your con- control can cause apathy. Sometimes it's situational. Sometimes somebody else did something horrible that affects you, and it just takes your, your zeal away. It just, you know, it's just you're, you're a victim of somebody else's sin, and, it, and it's situational. Sometimes it's sinful. Sometimes it's, it's your sin, right? And here's, here's how that works, right? So what I'm not talking about today is the Panthers. We're done with that because I don't, I don't, I don't care, right? At this point, I, I do care because I have fantasy football, but I really don't they're just so bad, it's hard to care. So I'm not going to invest fully, right? That's what we do with God sometimes. If God has disappointed you or not been who you thought he should be in a situation, then it's easy to get apathetic and think, you know what? God, you didn't come through for me, so I'm not going to trust you again because I don't want to get hurt again, right? God wants to meet you in that hurt. And sometimes there's a sin that nobody in this room knows about, not even the person beside you, and you know it's sin, and you know it's messed up. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's, maybe it's not. And you know God's going to deal with you on that issue. So you run from God and don't get close and you tend not to care because you don't want anything to be uncovered or to you know, mess up your, your mask. Sometimes, this is the hardest part of apathy, I think. Sometimes your honest thing is, I don't care and I have no idea why. I just don't care right now. And there is no seasonal, situational, sinful answer. You've searched your heart. It's none of that. You just... You're just not feeling it, and that's hard. That's part of life. It's part of the journey. Um, sometimes it just is, but here's what we're preaching in this little adorable series. Um, it can be transformational. Apathy can lead you to a transformation. We love transformation. That's what we're so excited about as a church is seeing people change. If you're stuck in a rut right now, you don't have to be in that rut six months from now. God's really good at, at encouraging us and bringing us out of that, and we celebrate that. And sometimes he uses your apathy to really 
do something special in your life. So what's the message today? Just start caring more. Can you make yourself care? When you don't care, can you make yourself care? We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, next week in week two, but I want to give some answers and some help, and this is, this is, this is tricky because last week, you know, we talked about um, becoming a spirit-led church, so sometimes we, worship was a little different this service than first service because we're trying to learn as worship leaders to, to allow the Spirit of God to take us wherever we need to go, and we're trying to do the same thing as preachers of, like, being sensitive to that Spirit. So last week, I said something that was not in my notes when I was talking about um, carrying each other's burdens, and it was really liberating. Later, I thought about, where'd that come from? But I'm, I like that, right? It was that whole section, if you're here, where I was talking about how what, the whole point of uh, Galatians was freedom and how freeing it was for me as a pastor to be able to say, my job is not to fix your burdens. I can't. I'm not good at it. It'll be bad for you and bad for me. I'm to carry, we're to carry to each other's burdens, not just me. Christians are to carry each other's burdens, but it's not my job to fix whatever's, um, wrong with you. It's not my job to fix your apathy, and I just got a lot of, of freedom for that. So it's not my job to fix when you're, when you're apathetic, but it is our job to seek God, and there's a four things I'm going to give you. These are weapons. You're going to deal with apathy on some level, either you or somebody you love. What do we do when we get to that place, right? We identify it, we admit it, and here's some weapons. Number one, gospel. Okay, gospel. Blah, 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 gospel, blah, 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 gospel, blah. Why so many blahs? Like, that's excessive. You, I, you say gospel, blah, 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 I get the point, but you wanted to say that was like seven, right? Too many blahs, right? We're a gospel-centered church. We said in September 14th, 2014, our opening day, we don't know what questions are coming in our church, but we already know the answer. The answer is always connected to the gospel somehow, some way. So we are centered on this gospel, and it does matter. It is the cure to apathy, sitting and soaking in the reality of our rescue and adoption, right? Nobody who's been rescued Right? There's all kinds of rescue missions happening in the, in the Middle East right now. There's nobody who's, who's imprisoned and hopeless and tortured that gets rescued and forgets it. They're never going to be lukewarm about that rescue. We were rescued from sin, death, and hell. Sin, death, and hell. We can't forget that. It's 2023, right? So it's been 2,000 years since Jesus came and then left. But it's just as true today as it's ever been. We've been rescued from sin, death, and hell. That's what pumps us up. That's where our zeal comes from. I was bought, I was rescued, I was adopted. So we, we talk a lot about soaking in our standing. You've got to do something in your weekly life to sit in who God says you are and how much he loves you. It's a game changer. It's not blah, blah, blah. It's, it's our number one priority today is to spend quality time with God. That's what we say. So I, we did this acronym. You don't have to use this acronym. You can make your own acronym. In fact, I can't believe I'm saying this. You don't even have to use an acronym at all. But this is an acronym that I, almost every day, I talk to God through this, uh, I pray this acronym of soaking in my standing of who I am. Soaking. Uh, so each letter, so I'm saved. I'm owned. I've been bought by somebody. His name is God. I'm, I'm accepted and I'm known. And that blows me away, even as I say it here today. He knows everything there is to know about me and he accepts me and saved me. Come on. Right? I've got to sit in that. It's hard to be apathetic when I sit in this. And then this, the word standing. I'm a selected servant. He chose me. I get to serve him. He chose you to serve him. T is crazy. He treasures me. Am I his favorite? No. But because he made you and he loves you, he treasures you. He adopted you. He adopted me to sit in my standing. I'm an adopted. All right? I have, I have 
two, first service is how I said it. I said, first service, I have two amazing adopted children and I have three kids. I have three amazing kids and both the non-adopted and the two adopted ones, they're all amazing, but I kind of said it like I had two amazing adopted kids and then another one over here, right? <laughs> That's not what I meant, Eli. That's not what I meant. Um, to think that I've been adopted, that, that he, he signed the papers to become my father. I'm adopted. I just need to soak in that. There's two news. I'm new, and he will never leave me or forsake me. Man, when I'm struggling, he'll never. This, when I talk through this tomorrow morning with God on November 20th, it will not be the day that God decides to walk away from me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. He delights in me. What? No way. He delights in you. He loves you. He loves the little quirky things about you. He delights you. I am in Christ. I'm, in, I'm living in Christ. I'm new, and I have nothing to prove. Some of you, get the chip off your shoulder. You have nothing to prove in the gospel. Right? You may have something to prove to your boss or to this world or whoever, but you have nothing to prove in God's eyes. And then we're growing. And that gives us a lot of freedom because we're all in process. That's a beautiful thing. So just to soak in that, that's a game changer for me to walk through that and pray through that. Again, you can do your own version of that, but it is hard for me to pray through that and leave that with a meh, neutral, lukewarm about my God who says all that about me. Second weapon we have is prayer. I really believe prayer kills apathy. We're a praying church. That was our big initiative for 2023. You, you, can, you can start to care and be like, what is going on? I'll tell you what's going on. Somebody's praying for you. You can start to care about things that you didn't care about, care about a marriage you didn't care about, care about a God you weren't sure about. If you have somebody you love that's struggling with apathy, pray for them. Watch what God, God will answer and, and work in that prayer. It's also really humbling and important to ask for that prayer. We want to be a church where we're safe and we know people are all kinds of places. Maybe your next step, some of you may be to go to somebody that you love and trust in this church or maybe outside this church and just say, could you pray for me? Yeah, sure, I can pray for what you got. I'm struggling with what? Apathy. I just don't care much about spiritual things right now. That's a beautiful confession. God will work in that humility and, he, and, and apathy um, and prayer, they don't coexist. Third weapon is purpose. When you have purpose, you care. When you're not sure why you're on this planet, when you're just kind of randomly blowing around from day to day, week to week, month to month, you don't know what your calling, God's calling is on your life, man, it can get really dark really quick, right? And I don't know you, if I don't know you personally, I know something about you. You were created by God to shine God's light into this world, to be a light in a very dark world, to be a part of his movement, his passion, his church, his going and finding people and bringing them home. Your, your story, your testimony, the worst of you, it's all part of the, of the package you know, we say in our country, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I like when we change it. Life, liberty, and the happiness of pursuits. There's something that you were made for to pursue something, to be about something in your life. I'm talking about spiritual things. If you have, you, you, purpose and apathy don't coexist. If you know why you're here and your purpose, it's very hard to be apathetic. And hopefully as a church, we can help you with that. I want to spend the most time on the fourth because it's the most important of the list. And it's appropriate this week. It's gratitude. I'm not giving you this because it's Thanksgiving week. I'm not telling you to be thankful because it's Thanksgiving. This is bigger than that. For a Christian, this is life, right? And, and Thanksgiving, I'm pumped about Thanksgiving. Last, thanks, uh, last year, so I just celebrated this past Wednesday, 
celebrated, I think that's the word, celebrated my year anniversary of the stroke that I had. All right. Alex. Alex from New York, thank you. It only takes one to start. You started it. If you hadn't clapped, nobody would have clapped. That's, that's leadership. Um, last, last Thanksgiving, the first three months after my stroke, I was so nauseous so much. I think I might have been pregnant. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know that for a fact. I don't know. But I just, Thanksgiving, like eating was not, it was, so I plan on 2023 Thanksgiving, I'm going to try to eat 2022 and 2023 Thanksgiving all this week and kind of make up for lost time. And I'm thankful. But we struggle with this. We meaning I. Here's how I'll say it. All the people on the stage right now struggle with this thankful hearts, minds, and mouths. All three. If you're thankful in your heart and your mind, it never comes out of your mouth, that's not okay. We've got to say it. We've got to mark it. People that you're thankful for, you gotta tell them. And I, I struggle. Here's what I think. I think as humans, our default, if we do nothing, we drift back to apathy. We've gotta be intentional about being thankful people. So Wednesday uh, was, the, was the anniversary. I just told you that. I didn't repeat myself because I had a stroke. I know what I'm doing up here, all right? <laughs> so it was, my, it was my anniversary. And it was, we did celebrate because there's so much to celebrate. But in that day, Towards the end of the day, I was getting a headache, and I told Kelly, my wife, I said, man, she's like, what? I said, I just thought when I looked forward to November 15th, 2023, all through, I, I thought by now I would not be getting headaches. I thought I'd be past this. I can't believe, like, I'm still having headaches. And she said, you know, you, you had headaches before the stroke. I was like, no, no, this is a stroke headache. How can you tell? I just know. I just can tell. It feels like a stroke headache. So and then I caught myself, and I knew in this conversation on Wednesday, I knew what we were talking about today. I was like, are you kidding me? I had, a, I had an event that easily could have taken my life. Not only could have taken my life, the most likely scenario that I would have months or years or the rest of my life with a, with a difficulty in speaking, eating, or walking. I have no deficits, except I say deficit incorrectly. I've been able to speak. I've been able to walk and talk and eat. My nausea's gone. My headaches are getting better. I had a little tiny headache. I haven't had a migraine for six weeks. And I had the nerve on the week of Thanksgiving, on the anniversary of something that God saved me from, to complain about my little headache. We got to be, we should be, we should be the most grateful creatures on the planet if we know Jesus. Like, that's enough, right? It should flow out of our mouth, right? I'm so tired of being thankful for one of you and then forgetting to tell you, hey, I really appreciate that what you did or what you're doing or how you're working or whole, you know, working in elementary or doing the coffee. Like, we've got to be a church. It's contagious, just like apathy is contagious. Gratitude is contagious, right? So we got to do something. And I'm going to give you, even if, if you're untold and unconvinced, you're not sure about Jesus in the room, we're so glad you're here. And I want you to know, um, science backs God up on this. Um, this is from a, I just want you to, I'm going to read through all these from an article in Psychology Today. These are all, each one of these things was linked to an actual scientific study. Gratitude improves physical health, happiness, reduces depression, um, reduces aggression. There was a whole study on violence, violent, like road rage and violent people. Gratitude, like the most grateful people were the least violent people. The most violent people were the least grateful people. There's a connection um, people sleep better, and on and on, mental strength. That's all. We don't, we don't need that because we know God knows what he's talking about. But even if you're not sure about Jesus, 
Be grateful. It's better for your life. And I want to give you, uh, from God's perspective and not psychology today, one of what I believe is the most offensive few verses in the Bible. All right. First Thessalonians chapter 5, says, verse 16 says, rejoice always. That's offensive. Always. All right. God, does God know what some of you are walking through? Some you have, you're supposed to rejoice in that? Are you kidding me? How in the world are you supposed to rejoice always? Some of you are getting ready to you know, go travel. Some, some, some of you people are coming to you, and you're going to see that family member that you'd rather not. And every year, it's the same thing. Don't bring it up. Don't bring it up. Don't, don't. And you're going to say something. You're not even going to get through the prayer. And they're going to say something before the prayer just to send you. You're supposed to rejoice in that? How? Here's how. Because we're not rejoicing in what's happening to us that day. We're rejoicing in something that's underneath. We cannot be shaken. We're building our life on the love of Jesus, and it will not be any less when Uncle Billy's going crazy on Thursday, right? It's a consistent. We can rejoice always in that. But then it gets worse, this verse. It says, pray continually. We need to do that. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's offensive. Give thanks in all circumstances. I don't know if you know this room, but all circumstances, how in the world are you supposed to give thanks? You're supposed to give thanks for that diagnosis. You're supposed to give thanks for that accident. You're supposed to give thanks for that miscarriage. You're supposed to give thanks for your boss calling you in and saying, I'm going to have to let you go. Are you, how in the world are you supposed to give thanks for all those things? Thankfully, you're not. It doesn't say anything about giving thanks for that. It says give thanks in that. There we go. That's a different life. And some of you, some people have got that message. They think Christianity is, we got to always smile. We got to give thanks. Thank you for that traffic accident. Thank you that I've got this. No, it doesn't. It's no matter what we're going through, we can give thanks in it, not for it. There's some things in my life I do not thank God for, but I thank God in the middle of it. That's a completely different thing. That's the gratitude we're talking about. Nobody can take it away from you. Nobody can stop it. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, to live that life. Because he knew how good it would be for your heart, how, how good it would be for your relationships. He knew how gratitude would change the game. So I'm not asking you to be thankful this week for Thanksgiving. I'm asking, I'm challenging you to make a habit in your life. Once a day, once a week, that's up to you. To, I did that this week. I journaled, just started journaling things I'm thankful to God for, right? Put it on paper, write it. I'm modern, so I type it. I'm real modern and progressive like that. So type it, write it, whatever you do. But I'm asking you to put it on paper, say it out loud. I think we're going to do something with my fam- five family members this week. Of just like we could, Let's get to 100 things. That's 20 each of us. Let's go around. Something we're thankful for. It's, right? Is it corny? I don't know. It's really healthy, not just to do it once a year, but to do it as a habit. Make it part of your life. That's what I'm asking you to do, church. Now, let me detour to come back to this because I'm asking you to do something. It's important for us. Um, I'm a coach. We just started our season. I got my daughter and another player or two in this service, um, and we're good this year. I'm excited about this team. Well, we have uh, my assistant coach has got a relationship with another coach that he knows. This guy's coached in different countries, won championships. He's more of a coach. He knows more about basketball than I'll ever know. Um, so I was like, yeah, let's bring him in and let him help us. So this dude's named Mike. And he's a, little, he's a real, like, in-your-face kind of guy. And he's running our practice and helping uh, my girls, varsity girls team uh, work on some stuff, some specific stuff. So I'm just observing at the practice. But I step in because I see us keep making the same mistake. And so I, I step in. I say, girls, how about this? May I suggest, how about we pump fake before you th- make that turnover? Pump fake and then come back. Just be patient. Just make a pump fake and then make the pass. 
And I stepped back into the shadows and gave it back to Mike. And Mike uh, came over to me. He, he did it very sweetly, not to embarrass me. He pulled me to the side uh, a few minutes later, and he said, Coach. I said, yeah. He said, uh, great coaches never make suggestions. I was like, at first I was like, what are you talking about? They're like, oh, because I suggested they pump fake. He said, great coaches never make suggestions, meaning great coaches say, make a pump fake or you're going to run, right? And I'm, I'm a spiritual coach. I've told you before when I don't want to take all the like pastor connotation on an airplane, somebody asks me what I do, I might say I'm a spiritual coach. Um, it's not a lie, it's true. So I'm, in some ways I'm a coach, right? I'm your pastor, but we don't run sprints. So how can I make you make a list of gratitude today? I can't force that. I have no, I have no ability to force that on you. I can't require it. I can't say, don't come back until you have a list. It's not about this week. It's about living a life of gratitude. That should be a habit all Christians have. We're writing down, we're articulating, we're posting, we're journaling, however you want to do it, a list of things we're thankful for as a part of our life. So I can't force you to do that. So all I know to do is do something I've never done in the history of this church. I'm going to beg you. Oh, God, give me the reason I'm down on bended knee. As a solo, I'm begging. I think this is big. So I'm asking you. You can come back and say, man, I've done that, Pastor, every week for six months. It made no difference in my life. Do that. I don't think that'll be the case. I think gratitude is a game changer, especially if you're in that place where I just don't care that much right now. This is your first step. It may be way deeper than that, but the first step is say, I'm going to verbalize, articulate, and make a list of things I'm thankful for. Not once, on the, every Monday, whatever it needs to be. Monday is the beginning of the week. Maybe every day. You figure that out with God. All right? That's what I'm asking you to do as a church. And I'm just asking. I'm begging. Baby, I'm begging. Baby, I'm begging. Begging. I'm going to go through the whole playlist. Sorry. I'll pray now. Father, we're so grateful. We're so grateful that we can call you Father, that you want us to call you Father. God, this room is so encouraging to me. I look on these just first couple rows and just see what you've brought people through, circumstances that we would never thank you for, but we can thank you in, just the healing. I thank you for the marriages in this room that were heading towards explosion, and you stepped in and did a miracle we just thank you for your power. God, forgive us. May we repent and be zealous. Help us run from apathy by running to gratitude. Help us not, not just leave this room and go about our business. Help us just lead the league in gratitude and, and be that way as a church. I pray you'd help us with that. Thank you for giving us so much to be thankful for. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, happy Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm.